Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club, the place investors go to learn tips, tricks, and stories from other investors in the field. Before I introduce today's guest, I have three short housekeeping items to cover. First, if you like our content, the best way to support us is simply to like, subscribe, comment, or share this episode with your friends and family. Second, we are active investors ourselves and are always on the lookout for mobile home, RV, mixed-use commercial, and multifamily properties in MSAs with a population of 100,000 or more. So if you are also an active investor and have something you think we may be interested in, we would love to take a look. Send us the details of the deal at www.therealestateinvestingclub.com. Third, if you are a new investor and would like to learn how to get started or scale your real estate investing business, go to www.therealestateinvestingclub.com to check out our course. So without further ado, let's dive right in. We have a very special guest with us today, so buckle up, grab your pen and paper, and enjoy the ride. And we are live. Today we have Chris Palmerlou with us, co-founder of Park Ave Capital, a and multifamily real estate investment company based out of Omaha, Nebraska. Chris, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, great, Gabe. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, to get started, started, why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and how you got started in real estate in the first place? Right, great. So I was born in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is just a suburb of Omaha, Nebraska. So uh, I've actually born and raised in the Omaha area, you know, grew up here. I only left for the military and for undergraduate uh, for, for college. And other than that, I've lived in the area for my entire life. Um, you know, read, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in law school back in 08. <laughs> and uh, like many people, and I, um, I, I knew that there, there was just something that had to be done. I actually didn't get a chance to jump into it until five years later, you know, with, with the military and law school, I was also uh, in grad school getting a master's in negotiation. So I, I was really oh, wow. busy. Um, looking back on it, I still could have figured out a way to get it done, but uh, I, I pushed pause for about five years. And in 2013, after I got done with my military obligation, that's when my father and I jumped into to real estate and um, you know, we haven't looked back. We, we purchased our first single family home and, you know, about 800 units later, uh, we, we certainly know we made the right choice. I love it. I love it. So, uh, so yeah, it sounds like you have quite the, quite the background. You have a master's in negotiation. That is, uh, I do. I do. You know, I've read a few books on it, but a master's that is, that's well, the, you, you yeah, must... I mean, it, it's, uh, I'm really happy I did that. Uh, just because it's, it's good to, it's good to get a perspective of the legal route. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm an attorney by trade. And so yep. it's you get a, a perspective on the legal route, but sometimes it's very apparent, very obvious, but sometimes they don't really uh, discuss the negotiation as, as in depth as they could during law school. Huh. Um, so yeah, I'm really glad that I did that. And it's helped me in financial situations, but it's helped me just on personal levels too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, negotiations in my opinion are much more psychological than they are um, legal. Right. And so uh, it's, uh, I mean, that, that would definitely come in handy, um, especially when you're dealing with people who, uh, who don't quite have a, um, an accurate understanding of the, the value of their property. And that's not to, you know, denigrate anybody who thinks, you know, they have a great 
valued prop- property, most likely you do. But some some people have overinflated ideas of what their property is worth. And so if you uh, if you have good negotiation tactics, I'm sure you could um, get that into into reality. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, we've we. I do this all the time and some people don't like it, but I, I send them my pro forma and I'll explain, look, mm-hmm. here's what you're uh, like. I'm amazed when people will send us out their actual T12 uh, or their pro forma with their NOI on there that justifies something a million dollars less than what they're asking. <laughs> and, and look at swing for the fences all you want. But I mean, you provided these numbers, you are telling me your property is only worth this. So I can't move forward on it, but it's actually benefited us. If I show them my pro forma, it's actually benefited us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I laugh because, uh, we, we just offered on a deal, um, two, I think two weeks ago, it was, a um, an RV park out in Texas and, uh, we asked for the T12. He sent it to us and he had a net negative cash flow. The NOI was negative, yeah. um, over that 12 month period. And, you know, he was asking $800,000. And while there is obviously still value in the property, there's still value in what he has there. Um, we can't, we can't reasonably, um, expect he, he was asking, uh, based on what you would expect his numbers to be, um, you know, with a 40% expense ratio, uh, he was asking, a, uh, a, I think it was an eight cap. Um, and generally RV parks trade for a little bit higher, you know, 10, 12 cap. And so, um, I mean, in that situation, it's just what you're talking about. People are just, you know, they're, 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 I, they're not really down to reality. What, what right. it should be, uh, you know, they should be awarded. So, um, a little bit of a tangent, I'm going to jump back to your story here. <laughs> um, sorry about that. So, uh, so you went to law school, you got a master's in negotiations. That is, uh, that's, I mean, that's got to help you a lot. Um, and then in 2013, you partnered up with your dad. I love hearing, um, you know, family businesses and you bought a, a single family. Um, and right. since then you've moved on and you are, you're now doing multifamily. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. I, yeah. But the, the, the single family stuff was great. I learned a lot. I wouldn't take it back. You know, I, I was laying the flooring, the plumbing, I was doing everything myself. Um, spent a lot of quality time with my dad too. So I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, go back and change anything, but it became very apparent four years in and only four single family homes. Uh, <laughs> something had to change if we were going to scale this into a business. I personally don't enjoy spending 12 hours, uh, landscaping and laying flooring and painting the exterior of a home. Um, so, and I, and I was doing it for the passive income and that was not going to happen with the single families, at least on, on that level. So. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I got started the same way as in uh, single family, and I think most people do. Um, and it's nothing to say, I mean, you can stick in single family for sure, but um, it's, uh, you know, you can't, you can't scale at that point. Um, and it is funny, you said that you were doing the work yourself. That's kind of how I got started. And I remember I had, uh, I had tiled a floor in, um, in a bathroom. And, uh, you know, I thought I did a good job. But <laughs> I, I hired a GC after that to do, I think it was the, the electrical or something. And he came in and he looked at the floor and he's like, Oh, who did you hire for the floor? This is horrible. And I was like, Oh God. But, uh, but yeah, doing single family, doing the work, I'm sure that taught you a lot. Um, just, you know, a lot of knowledge about how to go, go about flipping a property, you know, adding value to a property. Um, so how many single families did you guys do? You said four, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Four in four years. So about <coughs> one a year. So we'd purchase, we'd work all week. And then on the weekends we'd work on those, single family homes. And it was the same approach, the whole Burr method, if you will, where we'd buy it, we'd rehab it, uh, refinance it and repeat it. And it was working, but I, you know, we already talked about it. it's not 
doesn't seem to be an easy scale here. So I, I thought in 2017, I said, look, we got to try some bigger and better things. Set that to a duplex that worked. Then we just jumped into uh, a 20 unit and oh, nice. um, that worked same method, same exact approach, but on, in the, in the, on the duplex and the, and the 20 unit, um, we were completing those in a few months because we were actually hiring all of that out. Yep. So that, that's the biggest step is the scalability. And, and that's what I learned really quickly. And uh, I mean, look, more power to somebody who wants to spend every weekend doing that stuff. If it's their hobby or if it's their favorite pastime, good for them. But I was doing it because I wanted a business and I wanted that passive income. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's why most uh, most people get into this is they are looking for, you know, financial freedom, a little bit of uh, financial stability in their life. Um, and while you definitely can make lumps of cash in uh, flipping houses, it's not it's not a way to get consistent no. income over time. Um, so kind of take us into your business model. I mean, so you mentioned that you guys, you're basically doing the Burr method. Are you, um, are you refinancing afterward in order to purchase the next property or how are just kind of tell, take us through the process of what it's like, um, in your business to find, buy, um, fix and either sell or exit the property. Yeah. So, I mean, when we start, we always have in mind or in our business plan is to force appreciate the asset and then refinance, pull our cash back, and then roll it into the next property. Um, you know, I, I use the round numbers that to, to explain to everybody. You buy it for sixty thousand, you put in twenty thousand. It's now worth a hundred, so they give you eighty thousand back because that's eighty percent of the value. And um, you know, that's something we were able to do on single-family homes. We're just doing it now with, apart- with apartments. And that's always our goal. It just so happens to be, we're, we're not planning on ever selling anything. We've sold a couple of smaller multifamilies, a couple of three units, a couple of duplexes. Um, and it's mainly not so that we could pocket it and enjoy the fruits of our labor. We just want, the market was of a certain situation where we could make a lot of money and then use that on something much larger. So, um, you know, just because we've sold a couple of things, that was never part of the plan. I, you never say never, right? I mean, I, I always say, I, I don't want to sell. I'm not here to flip anything, but sometimes it's not smart to pass up on that large of a, of a profit. So, you know, that's what we do. We, we, we come in, we make sure we vet the, we vet the property right away. We see, we look for things like the income, obviously, is it, is it renting like it should be? Um, do they have laundry on site? Are they, and we start looking at the expenses. Are they, are they, are they billing back for any of these expenses? And I'm sure you've covered this so many times with different guests, but those are things to look at. And one of the things we're catching a lot of traction on right now is actually trimming the fat on the expenses. Sometimes the raising of the, of the rent just to market is only $25, $50, $75, which ends up being 6 to 10% of a raise, which is decent. But you can drop a lot of expenses. And people are paying too much for management. People are paying too much for maintenance because it's not being done correctly the first time. People are paying their own utilities, which blows my mind. The owners are paying their own utilities. And so we're finding a great way to value add through that as well. And so I, I guess I, that's a shotgun spray answer to your question, but I, I like to dummy it down and not that anybody's a dummy, but it really is. You're just buying something, you're making it more valuable, pulling the cash back out and moving on to the next thing. And as long as you cash flow, it, it's really fun to see this uh, play out because I'll get off my hours here, but you know, it's, it's, it's a sad situation. What's going on with COVID who knows what's going to happen. 
who knows what's going to happen with people's jobs? Who knows what people going to happen with people's living arrangements? And I get that. I really do. And we've taken certain measures to help people in those sorts of situations. But the people that were less affected than others were those who had a guaranteed source of income. And you know, I use the word guaranteed lightly, but people <laughs> need a place to live. That is, yeah. Yeah. And when that rent's coming in, as an attorney, our practice slowed down a little bit. Now, I'm a divorce attorney. So guess what's happening? Oh, I would actually COVID. expect that to go up. Yeah. Oh, well, now it is. So, <laughs> you know, in June, states started, you know, in the area here, they started opening restaurants and stuff back up. And a lot of couples said, wait a second, I did not sign up to spend, up, to spend this much time with my spouse. And our, our practice has picked up a lot. But during those three months or so that it was down, there are many attorneys that weren't making the money that there used to be. And it, the, the people... We, were, we did not feel that pain at all because we had we have a passive income. And I think the, the fact that I can choose to work as opposed to need to work is is something that I wish everyone could have the opportunity to do. And it's taking a lot of a lot of learning, a lot of ups and downs, don't get me wrong, but it's why I keep pushing to everybody who will listen. I know I'm pretty annoying because of family and friends, and I just want to talk about real estate all day. But once they get that passive income mailbox money, it, it's hard to stop talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing what, um, I mean, when you don't have to work, it's amazing how pleasurable work becomes. Right. Um, right. I remember when I was working in corporate, um, I just, I dreaded every day, but if I, if I didn't have to actually do that, if that wasn't a thing that I needed to do, um, I'm sure I would have enjoyed it a lot more. So, oh, sure. uh, I mean, you're for right sure. on the money there. Um, I do want to take it just a little bit back. You mentioned a few things that I wanted to comment on. Um, so you're talking about buying and, uh, and fixing up the properties, your multifamily properties. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that, you know, sometimes you can't really increase the rents that much, even when you do, uh, you know, significant, well, maybe not significant, but, um, decent amount of repairs to your properties. Um, and so you're finding that the biggest, uh, the biggest way to increase your NOI is by trimming the fat on the expenses. Um, and I, I mean, I've seen this as well, uh, in a property that we're buying right now, um, their water bill was off the roof because they were watering all day long instead of during the, you know, the morning and the evening. Um, yeah. so kind of, Take us, what, what are some good uh, expenses that you like to look at um, or yeah. that, that kind of jump out to you when you're first looking at a property that are, you know, uh, red flags to obviously this, this is a good thing to cut? You know, I, and I wouldn't say that cutting the expenses is, is the number one way from a financial position. Look, if you can raise the rents very high or a decent percentage, that is the best way to get to, to force appreciate that asset. It just seems as though the most overlooked is uh, the ability to, to mitigate the losses, to, to, to trim that fat, especially now that just, you know, just in the last few years when real estate has become more and more popular or more and more popular to investors, um, it, it, it's becoming more and more difficult to find that, that diamond in the rough, if you will. And it's, I think that I, what people could learn from and what we're learning is that, the ability to trim some of that fat is actually something people overlook. So some of those things obviously are the utilities, right? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you own an apartment, but you're paying for everybody's water and electricity, that's a little less uh, common, but water, gas, um, you're not, in my opinion, you're not doing the tenant any benefits because there's no real ownership in what they're doing. Maybe they can leave the sink running all day if they want. Um, but uh, you're also leaving a lot of money on the table. I mean, when you can bill back these tenants for the, the utilities they're using, it's fair and it's a way to, to, to raise the value of property. Some of the things uh, 
people may overlook are the trash. That's looped into our, our, our rubs, if you will. Um, we actually charge a common area maintenance fee at a lot of our properties, which is 10 or $15. And that does go towards the snow removal and the common area maintenance, of course, uh, being the hallways, uh, the uh, lawn care. And it's a, it's a small figure, uh, but people honestly don't scoff at it that much. And if it actually, it's important you actually then make sure that they have the best common areas possible. And if they do, it, it just the help buys them into the, the ownership of the property and it helps our income, but it helps the whole property as well. So that's something that people don't really think about. It's a common area maintenance fee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when you, when you, I mean, you got, you, sorry about that. You went from single family to multifamily properties. Um, and so, I mean, at the beginning, I'm sure when you guys are renting this out, you weren't, you didn't have a, uh, you may have had a property manage, manager, but you didn't have like an on-site maintenance person or anything like that. Um, at what point were you able to hire, uh, do you, I'm assuming you guys have a maintenance person now, at what point were you guys able to hire on, um, somebody to do the maintenance that was on, you know, payroll? Yeah. I mean, we manage our own properties for the first four years and I, and, and my father and I are still managing those four single family units that we have. Um, they're all close to where my father lives and it's kind of this nostalgic, you know, it's this feeling that's the first few deals we had and we're kind of keeping them and, and, and they're fine. But when we jumped into multifamily, it was straight to property management. And so we would utilize either the maintenance team that property management had, or my business partner, Colin Schwartz, him and I are the, are the ones who are combined. We're about 800 units now, he started his own property management company three years ago. And so he's hired on, he has a staff of about seven to eight people. And so that's from leasing uh, individuals to in office to maintenance and now some HVAC people. And so that's really helped as well. So, I mean, trusting these people who that's all they do, right? I mean, if, if, if you're an HVAC person who specializes in that area, you're really good at what you do. You get out there, you get it fixed for less expensive than I could do mainly because I'd probably break it. You know, I'd probably make the problem worse or I'd miss out on my time working as an attorney or finding other deals. And you can make a lot more money doing those things, finding other deals, making sure that you're polishing up each asset that you already have, as opposed to me going out and learning how to fix an AC. It doesn't make any sense. So um, I don't remember the question you asked. You just, Got me on my <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, I, I asked at what point um, did you guys? I mean, it sounded like you kind of um, were wed into in in the sense that you got a partner um, yep. into you know your maintenance team, um, yep. so you didn't really have to make that decision at, at a specific point. Um, but you know, a lot of people are curious when they're you know they're going from single family to multifamily or just a large single family portfolio. You know, at what point did it make sense um, for you to bring on a full time maintenance person? Right, right. If I mean, if I had to jump into this and if I was trying to do everything myself or or build out a, you know, if I was let's say I only had a twenty unit and I didn't want to hire a property management company, I would try to just vet certain go to subcontractors, if you will, that I would utilize them and them only. But I mean, most property management companies have all that stuff taken care of. Yep. And to me, um, I push this on anybody. If you're trying to grow this business, you can't spend hours upon hours trying to figure out who the best um, HVAC person is. You need to trust people to make those decisions. I need to trust my property manager to make that decision. I need to stay on top of that by reviewing the monthly financials and making sure that the same dang AC wasn't broken yet the next month. But I mean... 
will I lose a little bit of money? I lose in quotations. We'll have to spend more paying a professional to do it, sure. But as you continue to scale, uh, it only makes sense to start trusting people to do the things they're good at. And if it's property management, if it's leasing, if it's fixing HVAC or plumbing, I got to trust those people if I'm going to scale the business. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, I, I would echo that sentiment um, that you just trust people to kind of, you know, do what they're really good at. And that also involves uh, partnerships. Um, different partners are going to be good at different things. And you just have to trust that they, you know, they have it under control. They have that that area that they're, you know, looking out for um, under control, whether it be, you know, the, the sales, um, marketing, um, acquisitions, anything like that. So um, I'm going to... Sh- shift gears just a little bit here. We try to keep these around 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and so we are nearing in on the end here, but before we go, I do want you're trying to, to say you, I talk too much. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Absolutely not. I would never say that. <laughs> um, I do want to ask a few questions that I ask all guests. Um, and that is the first one, you know, you've been in real estate for 2013, that's seven years now. So you've, you have good experience. Um, you know, but you weren't always this way. There was a time when you just picked up rich dad, poor dad, you know, the Bible for real estate investors. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it just kind of opened your eyes. And at that point you were like, yes, this is what I need to do. Um, but you didn't have an experience. So if you could go back to that, Chris, who had just popped open that book and give him one piece of advice going forward in real estate, what would that piece of advice be? Find a good partner. And, and that, and that can take the, that can take the form of, uh, somebody who already owns a property management company, someone who's really handy if you're not, somebody who has all the money, but you're willing to volunteer your time. Uh, even a coach, I, I view as a partner. Don't do it all yourself. I think that um, it took me four years to figure that out. And there are many positive things that, that came from spending time with my father for four years and doing all of these things. And by the way, I learned a lot. So now I know what to, uh, to expect from the people that I hire. So there, there is that benefit, but if you try to learn on yourself and do it all yourself, it takes much longer than if you simply go to the people who have done things before you and learn from the success that they, they've had. And I think that if I would have done that in 08, uh, when I first read the Purple Bible, uh, <laughs> I, I think that I'd be in a, a much different position. I think that if I would have done that in 09, in 2010, anytime you have a chance to do that uh, is a great time. So uh, you know, just don't, don't wait around until you know, absolutely everything and then jump into it. Try to find someone you can learn from, be a part of these private Facebook groups, be a part of your local RIA, do whatever you can and, and grab a good partner or, or try to team up with someone with that knowledge base. Just jump into it and stay afloat. Absolutely. I love it. And, uh, I, I love the advice of just jumping into it. Um, because I know I've spoken with plenty of investors who, um, you know, at RIAs who are just, they want to invest, but they, you know, they're reading all the books, doing all the things, but they haven't done anything. I'm like, just go buy a property, just do a flip, just, you know, yeah. find somebody to team up with. It's just, you know, you can't just read everything. You have to be in the field. Right. Um, so I love that piece of advice. Um, next question, uh, you know, we get our, our, our knowledge from many different areas, from partners, from, um, you know, from your parents, um, also from books. Sounds like you got it from, uh, from Robert. Um, so if you could give two, two recommendations here, one for a real estate book, real estate or business book, and then one for just a, um, any other type of book, what would those recommendations be? Okay. So I would say real estate slash business would be Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Um, I think that's a great way to kind of frame your mindset. If, if rich dad, poor dad didn't do that, 
Um, I think that Think and Grow Rich is another great book, and it's obviously much older too, but it's tried and true. Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich. On a personal level, I would say The the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, in my opinion, it's no secret anymore that waking up early and, and starting your day off right is, is, is the way to go uh, if, you can, if you can manage it. And uh, I think that's something that really helped changed change my approach to, to not just business, but life in general. So taking a little me time and writing down goals and writing down things I learned from the day before. So miracle morning, Hal Elrod. Final answer. Awesome. I will. I, uh, I have not read that one. I'm going to have to pick that up. Miracle morning by Hal Elrod. It's great. It's great. And that's one, I don't know if you're into audible or not, but that's actually one that is not bad to listen to on audible either. Some books are hard to digest on <laughs> audible, but that's an easy one to digest for sure. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. It, to me, it really comes down to the, uh, to the narrator. Um, if they've got a voice yeah. that I can't deal with, I'm like, ah, oh, I just can't, can't listen to it. <laughs> awesome. Um, so again, thank you for coming on the show. I, uh, you know, I've got a lot, um, talking to you and I'm sure everybody listening and watching did as well. Um, you've given us a lot, so we always need to, uh, give in return. Um, so if someone is, were to come and, uh, ask, or if you were to receive something from someone listening on the show, what would you want to receive? You know what? I'd love to hear how anything I said has helped them. I mean, look, that's a far reach. Maybe maybe someone doesn't reach out to me, but I'd love to know that just that somebody was going to take a nugget of what I said and just light a fire and get it done. Whether that's for them to stop doing everything themselves or find a good partner or listen to, you know, read one of those books. I think I think it's just nice to know people are are, are moving at the speed of, of what they're learning. Perfect. I love it. Um, and on that topic, if somebody did want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm Chris at parkavinvesting.com. Uh, that's Chris at parkavinvesting.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a uh, we have a partnering checklist, which I think is important for people to review. You can find that at partneringchecklist.com. I think that's just a great resource to look at different things you should ask a partner, and that's whether you're buying a 100-unit apartment or trying to find someone to babysit your kids. I mean, <laughs> everyone's going to partner with you on to help you get things done in your life, and I think it's a good list of things to do, so... Yeah, social media and and uh, online would be great. Awesome. So uh, you heard it from him. That's Chris at parkavinvesting.com. Um, I will also put his LinkedIn account in the show notes. So if you want to click through there um, to reach out to Chris, go ahead. Um, and for everybody listening and watching, thank you for coming along this journey with us today. We really appreciated having you here. Again, the best way to support the show is just to subscribe, like, and share with your friends and family. And we look forward to having everybody on the next episode. Awesome. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for joining us on the Real Estate Investing Club. If you feel we've provided value, we would appreciate it if you hit that thumbs up, share with your friends online, whatever it may be. If you'd like to share or partner with us on an investment deal, we are always looking for quality projects. Go to www.therealestateinvestingclub.com to get in contact with one of our partners. Otherwise, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic day and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. 
If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.